Welcome to the Muria to Serve podcast and our latest guest, extremely lucky to get this guy. This is Sean Derry. Sean Derry is a well-respected um, former English Premier League player. He was a captain at Queen's Park Rangers and a captain for Crystal Palace and they both played at the highest level in the English Premier League. Now, Sean has taken the time out to answer some questions and to give us an insight to his background. He speaks about growth mindset, which is the attitude that you must have when you're, when you're up against adversity and ways to keep yourself working hard and to have a positive attitude. And he also speaks about how he worked as a young guy growing up in a rough part of, uh, he's, he calls it an estate. So for some of you who aren't aware, back home in England, when we say estate, uh, council estate, it's the area that we grew up in. Now, how he self-taught, what he would do, the power of the wall and how the, the wall was his best friend. So he speaks about how we can manage and develop ourselves right now with the lockdown and the quarantine. And right now, uh, Sean is working with top young professional players. So he absolutely knows what he's talking about. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, Muria to Surf. This is Sean Derry. I'm looking forward to speaking with you and maybe one day visiting your soccer club. So I was talking to Helen um, on the phone the other night and we was coming up with ideas of how we can um, try and take some positives out of this situation that we're all in throughout the world um, with the coronavirus. And we was talking about talking to different people like myself, um, people who have got good history in the game at different levels uh, my history came from firstly being a a young soccer player like yourselves as a 10 year old I first started my journey and finished my journey as a player shortly after my 35th birthday and I'll tell you about that in this podcast um, the journey's always been very varied, um, wide-ranging, played for a number of different clubs. Firstly started off in Nottingham, which is um, central in, in England, and played my first game on my 10th birthday for Notts County. There's two professional football clubs in Nottingham. One of them is Notts County, which was the smaller club. And the other one was Nottingham Forest, um, which was the, the bigger club with the fantastic history. Two times European champions in 1979 and 1980, well before your time. But my journey started on my 10th on my, on my birthday. Um, I'd always played football as a, as a young player, as a young boy, lived on a pretty big housing estate and um, there was about 1500 kids on this big housing estate and we all wanted to play football. There was no pitches, there was no, 
there was no real kind of um, public spaces where we could play. So there was this patch of grass on the side of the houses where I lived. And at certain times throughout the week, you'd get a knock on the, on, on the door and it would be one of the kids from the estate asking to borrow my ball. Or perhaps one of only five or six on the, on the estate who had a full size five ball. So that door was knocked pretty often. Um, and I went out and played. So as a six, seven, eight year old, I was playing with the, the bigger boys. 16, 17, 18 year olds sometimes joined in. So I needed to be tough and I needed to be resolute and I needed to be understanding of how to survive on a football pitch. And I'll go into that with a little bit more detail as the podcast continues. But I'll start with my um, first question. And one of the questions that I've um, been asked by you guys is, what key decisions did I have to make to get to the level of playing in the Premier League with Crystal Palace and Queen's Park Rangers? Now, I didn't reach the Premier League until, properly this is, until 32 years old. We got promoted out of the Championship with Queen's Park Rangers as the champions in 2010. And at my first season in the Premier League, my whole season in the Premier League was as a 32-year-old. I briefly played in the Premier League for Crystal Palace when I was 26 years old in 2007, having won the player final, um, which was a... We, I think we finished sixth in the league that year. and I didn't really get my shirt that year. Um, find it really difficult to hold a place. Um, and like I say, it was a very difficult year for me and I ended up being sold to Leeds United that year. But what did I have to, what was the key decisions um, I had to make? I suppose for me as a 32 year old, my key decisions were making the right decisions on the, on the football pitch. Um, I'm a type of player, or I was a type of player, um, that tried to simplify the game. I was a um, holding, deep holding central midfield player who played predominantly in a two-man midfield up until I was about 26, 27. And then in a three-man midfield, past the majors, um, when the systems changed slightly. So I suppose the key decisions for me were keeping my position on the pitch, allowing the players, the more technically advanced players, to be the ones that could further push themselves up the pitch. And I was that supply line, that little link player, between the defenders and the, and the more advanced attacking midfielders. So I suppose my key decisions were being in the right position, more often than not, both in possession and out of possession. In possession I needed to be pretty dynamic to work away from my opponent. Um, the little slight um, challenging movements that get you away from your opponent, to get you on the half turn, to allow you to face the pitch in a, in a forward position. Obviously playing with my head up. First touch needed to be of a high standard to allow myself to see the pictures in front of me. And I suppose once I got myself in that little position and being trusted with the ball in tighter areas as well as open space, my first thought 
was always to try and pass it to a, a player who was in a better position than me. And you know, the challenge for me was the, the power of the pass, you know, making sure that that pass was the safe side, allowing that person who was going to be receiving the ball not to get tackled and to be us on the counter-attack. But obviously, you know, we know we all footballers and we know that possession turns from a positive to a negative. And again, my positional sense, one of the key decisions I had to make from a position, positional angle defensively was making sure that I stopped that first break of attack into our back four, into our defensive line. So I was always kind of shifting on the, four, on the front of the, uh, of the two central defenders, trying to gauge my position out of possession so that I could perhaps nick a little ball off the front of a centre-forward's toe. Back tackle was a big part of my game. Um, every time it kind of went over and looped over my head, I needed to make sure that I was always in that position to try and challenge that central attacker or one of the wingers who perhaps rotated from a wider position into a more central position. Could I go and nick that ball back and again start the process straight away? So that was a big challenge for me, you know, to be in them key positions. But I only really learned that, you know, throughout my career. You know, I was, I was a player early in my career who kind of was a more adventurous player and tried to get in goal scoring positions but as I recognised what the strengths were in my game a lot of my strengths were defensively so but I needed to learn that game and I needed to make sure that all the you know all the experience that I'd had up until I was about 26, 27, 28 took me into that Premier League and I knew that at 32 years old, my brain needed to play the game for me and not my legs. I was fit and I was strong, but I wasn't young and I needed to make sure that my brain worked very, very quickly. And that's what made me survive for them two or three years playing in the Premier Leagues. Um, were a fantastic experience for me, but it was definitely me using my brain that got me there. So I was talking about my upbringing, you know, living on a, a tough estate. And I was telling Helen over the phone about the challenges that I had, you know, if I was a younger player and the big boys and, the, you know, the, 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 the big girls were on the, on the grass and I couldn't really match them physically. But I knew then that my best friend was, was a war, you know, and... I did ball, you know, I was thankful that I had a ball as a young, as a young player and I always used to take a tennis ball out to the bottom of my road and there was this big wall there and I would always play two touch with myself on the wall, you know, trying to keep it above a certain height. I used to draw squares and circles on the, on the wall as well with a big stone and I used to um, try and get the tennis ball into this square and circle and challenge myself with a two and a three touch control and then try and get the ball back into the circle again. I used to do that for hours and hours and hours. So one of the, one of the questions on here is what advice would I give young players, especially 
when you guys can't train because of the situation with the coronavirus. And hopefully, you know, you all live with a garden, or if you don't live with a garden, you live with a park next to you, and there'll be a wall, you know, and if you can't play, um, obviously, away from your friends, because, you know, we have to be very, very careful at this moment in time, but you can definitely pass the ball between yourself and the wall, and you can definitely challenge yourself with your touch and your technique, and you can challenge yourself with your, your power of your pass, and your execution, perhaps if you're like me as a young player, you can, perhaps not right on the wall, but you can definitely get some tape and tape some squares and try and get the ball onto that wall and as soon as, it, as soon as you get it, you receive it on the half turn, checking your shoulder all the time, getting in them habits, what your coaches have been telling you, you know, trying to get that first touch into a position where you can take it into space and you can definitely do things like that even though you're challenged by not being able to play with your pals at this moment in time. You know, and perhaps your parents or your guardians can serve and supply and challenge you with your chest control or your thigh control or perhaps have a little game of two-touch in the garden or out on the street with your, with your mum or dad or your guardian or whoever looks after you. You know, you can definitely challenge yourself and Perhaps if you've got a brother or a sister, you can ask them to do the service and you can practice your, practice your volleys, your side volleys, your outside of the foot volleys. Practice the technique. Technique, 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 all the time. Allows you to be the best possible player that you can possibly be. You know, the better your technique and the more challenges that you give yourself and the more times you know, I used to spend hours and hours and hours as a young kid keeping up his left foot, right foot. Left foot only. Challenge yourself with a different foot. Um, perhaps left foot, left thigh, left shoulder, left thigh, left foot. How many times can you do that? You might throw a little head in now and again. Careful with the headers, but you might have to challenge yourself on a shoulder or a chest. You could go right foot, left foot, left foot, right foot. Different, different challenges that you can definitely help yourself. And by the time we're all back on the soccer fields, you'll definitely be better by all these little techniques that you've worked on, on your own. So that's one of the questions as well from, from you guys over there. Who inspired me to play is another question. Now you've all got role model, models, I'm sure. You know, there's so many top, top soccer players throughout the world. You know, a lot of my role models were from a, an era that perhaps you guys don't recognise. But there was one particular player, and it'd be great if you could Google this guy. Um, in fact, there was two role models for me. Um, perhaps your parents will know these more than yourselves, but if you can go onto YouTube, and Google these players, you'll see some outstanding talent. One of them was Paul Gascoigne. Paul Gascoigne used to play for an English soccer club called Tottenham Hotspur. And back in 1991, he played in a FA Cup final against Nottingham Forest. And he was 
absolutely on top of his game. He just played in a World Cup in 1990 before that, and he was the best player at the World Cup. England got to the semi-finals and lost on penalties to West Germany, and I was absolutely crying. I was so, so upset. But that was when I really fell in love with football, back in 1990. And the person I really, really fell in love with was Paul Gascoigne. He was a, an attacking player, a really, really aggressive type of forward-thinking player, technically outstanding, left foot, right foot, he would score from all types of distances, he'd score great headers, he'd take people on in tight areas, he'd set his teammates up, he was just the best, best young player and he was courted throughout world football and he ended up going to an Italian team called Lazio. And back in the day, on a Sunday morning, there was an Italian um, programme called um, Italia, um, Gazetta Football Italia. And I used to watch it every, every Sunday and see these best players in Italy. But there was this English person out there called Paul Gascoigne. And he was amazing. So Paul Gascoigne was a massive influence for me. I mean, I wasn't the type of player who Paul Gascoigne, you know, I didn't mirror the skills that he had but I loved him nonetheless. And the other one was Eric Cantona. Eric Cantona arrived from France, signed for a team called Leeds United, who thankfully I went on to play for um, when I was 27 years old. But Eric Cantona was this Gaelic footballer, big six foot two, six foot three. His shoulders used to play, massive shoulders, and used to take on all this, all the pressures of a, a of a soccer match. He was the, the captain of uh, Manchester United and he was there for five or six seasons in the glorious seasons of Manchester United watching and winning. I, I used to watch and see them winning all the time. Eric Cantona was the best player. He was six foot three but his touch and technique was the best I've ever, ever seen. He was so good. Uh, but, you know, he was this um, Frenchman and he had a little bit of a nasty, aggressive side to him, which I quite liked. You know, if you can take aggression out onto the football field, channeled obviously, but if you can take it out, you can be, you can, that can be another string to your bow as a young player. You know, there's a lot of challenges that you have to make. You have to be big, strong and aggressive and you have to be challenged technically and physically as well in the game. And Eric Cantona was that type of player. And I just loved them both. Paul Gascoigne and Eric Cantona for me were just the best players. And obviously, you know, and, uh, as I grew and I grown and I had this career from an 18-year-old into a 35-year-old, my journeys lasted a, a number of clubs. My first club was Notts County. And that was my hometown club, the, the club that I supported as a, as a young boy. I was going to Notts County games from seven, eight years old with my dad. And I played with them from 10 all the way to, I was a young, young professional footballer at 16. And then I was a scholar for two years until I was 18 and then made professional at 18 years old. And my first game was against York City, and I played as a right back, and I was a midfielder, and I got my first opportunity to play as a professional footballer in a position that was very different to the position that I've been playing. 
for the previous eight years. But I took that challenge on and it was brilliant for me because for two years I played at Notts County and for the first year I was the right back and for the second year I went into my preferred position as a midfielder and then I was sold to Sheffield United and um, left Nottingham and had to leave home and play for this new football club and live away from home and live away from my parents as a 20 year old which was a different challenge for me but I loved it, you know, it made me grow up and it made me realise just what being a young professional footballer was all about you know, it was taking these new experiences and falling in love with the game that everybody's in love with I played for Sheffield United for two years um, brilliant two years, played in the championship played with some fantastic players some very, very, very experienced ex-Premier League players at the time and I was only 20 and I just grew and my game came on to a different level and then I left Sheffield United at 22 and went all the way down to the south coast of England and signed for a club called Portsmouth and Portsmouth at the time was struggling in the Championship and there was a big, big threat going out of the Championship into League One which would have been horrendous for the football club but we managed to stay on in my first year and we experienced the highs of staying in the league and I lasted two years at Portsmouth but I had a terrible time with injuries I had some awful injuries um, a lot of back problems I had a fractured back and um, that took me out of the game for nine months and then I had a very very difficult problem with my hamstring which I again was out for six months with spent a long time out of the game of soccer and it was a big big challenge for me you know, psychologically it was a tough time for me I was living away from home not playing the game what I absolutely loved and I had to look after myself and it made me really grow up and it made me take responsibilities as a young professional footballer but thankfully I got fit and ended up leaving Portsmouth and moved to London a place where I really wanted to play and moved to a fantastic football club in Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace at the time were a championship club with high aspirations of getting in the Premier League. And they bought me from Portsmouth and quickly I was established as a midfielder for Crystal Palace and we had some brilliant games. We had some marvellous, marvellous games. None more so than the one game that really stood out in my mind was an FA Cup game at Anfield against Liverpool and me playing against a young Stephen Gerrard and Stephen Gerrard at the time was only 19 and I think I was 23 maybe Stephen might have been a little bit older but I was only 24 years old so I was still relatively young but this guy was just a top player and we ended up winning at Anfield 2-0 and I played really well on the night and it was a replay we drew 1-1 at Sellers Park, which was our home home stadium at Crystal Palace and we went to Anfield. And I can never forget them singing, You'll Never Walk Alone. And 40,000 Anfield was packed. And these, these fantastic fans of Liverpool turned up to see their team win and we ended up winning uh, an FA Cup replay, which was, which was a dream come true for me, playing for Crystal Palace. And I played for Crystal Palace for three years and got promoted into the Premier League but I wasn't getting picked 
So I moved to a fantastic football club, but I had to move from London all the way to the north of England and signed for the mighty Leeds United, which, which was a huge, huge football club. But living outside the Premier League, they just got relegated the, the year before and I arrived and it was a big transitional period. But I scored on my debut, scored against West Ham United and there was 42,000 people at Elm Road. And it was a dream come true for me to score the winning goal in front of 42,000. Heroes welcome back, you know, after the, after the game ended. All these fans singing and chanting your name was something I'll never ever forget. So obviously I'm getting older now, 27 years old. You know, been at four or five different football clubs and I spent three fantastic years at Leeds United. You know, three memorable years where I played for one of the biggest clubs in England. And I'm really hopeful that this year they can get back in the Premier League because, you know, they're a team that can very, very much improve the Premier League. But I left and came back to Crystal Palace. I'd had a loan period. Last time I was at Crystal Palace, I spent alone for two, two months to play for Nottingham Forest, which was the, the rivals of Notts County. So that was interesting to play for the rivals of your hometown club. But at, at 30 years old, ended up back in London and back at Crystal Palace. The team that I absolutely loved playing for. And this team, you know, was something so very close to my heart. And I wanted to be back in the capital of London. And I wanted to bring my family and my wife back here to London and experience the highs of playing for this great football club. But we had a traumatic time. We fell into administration. And this was a really tough period. And sometimes football's not easy, guys. You know, sometimes it's very difficult to understand how to maximise the strengths and the, the mentality that you've got when you're being challenged away from the game. And that was the big challenge for me. I was the captain of this football club, this great football club that I cared very deeply for. And there was a lot of young players coming through the system. A lot of 17, 18, 19 year olds needed guiding. And it was my responsibility as a 30 year old I needed to guide these players onto the pitch. And all this experience that I've got, you know, on the back of 450, 500 appearances at the top levels of English football, I needed to help these young players. And that was where, you know, I was looking, thinking of what my most enjoyable part of being a professional footballer was. And I must say, it was me reaching the age of 30, 32, when I then went and signed for QPR and having them fantastic years in the Premier League were brilliant for me. For me to work in the Premier League and play against the best players, the Sergio Agueros, the Gerrards, the Lampards, the John Terrys, you know, all these massive, massive footballers, David Silvers, I can name so many of these players, but the best thing for me was using my experience to help young players make their way as young professional footballers. And that was the biggest thing, that was the most enjoyable factor of being a young and senior professional footballer, was helping people like you who are hopefully listening to this podcast and thinking, 
How can I help your, you as players? And that took me on to my management career. So I stopped playing at 35 and ended up managing. Managed my hometown club, um, Notts County. And the picture you see behind is me with my arm raised above my shoulder. And that was the day that we stayed in the League One, which is the third level of English football. We were, we were challenged. We were possibly getting relegated that year, but thankfully I brought in some young players and one of them young players was Jack Grealish from Aston Villa. And Jack was only 17 and I brought him in and he helped sustain the league. And I remember having a conversation with Jack one day and I was asking him what he loved about being a young professional footballer. And he said, the joys of going out onto that green pitch, onto that grass, and playing like he was playing on the streets. And that was one of the earliest memories I had of Jack when he joined Notts County as a 17-year-old. He just loved the game. You've got to love the game, guys. This game is the best game in the world. And at times like this, when we're all challenged and we're all missing the game, I hope and pray that you guys are practising back home. And I hope that you are playing like with the freedom that you can, with that ball, with your mums and your dads and your brothers and your sisters, and you're playing like Jack Grealish, and your best friend is the war if you haven't got somebody to play with, and you're improving your touch and your technique and your mindset, and you're watching videos, and you're watching the best players in the world, and you're seeing the love and the desire and the happy, smiley faces, because we'll get through this. This challenges period at this moment in time. We'll be back on that football pitch. I'm missing it every day coaching. I'm missing it every single day. And I can't wait to get back on that hallowed turf of that green pitch to be the best possible coach that I can be. But you guys have got a responsibility to yourselves to practice, practice, practice up until we get that green light to be back, to be playing and being hopefully young professional footballers once again. Great talking to you guys. I can't wait to speak to you again. Hopefully I'll be able to make my way over to the States and come and see you at Murrieta. But parents, you've got a responsibility to, you know, your responsibility and your, your guardians there responsible to keep throwing that football to your kids. Keep helping them while the coaches and people like me stuck in these rooms trying to give you guidance as well. Help the guys, help the girls and I wish you all the luck in the world guys. Speak to you soon.